all is not well with the world's second largest economy, which should concern businesses and investors alike. China's economy has struggled to maintain decent growth in the face of overbuilt property markets and overleveraged local governments. To discuss how the nation got to this point, and more importantly, where it's going, is Art Wu, Director and Senior Economist at BMO, joining myself, Sal Guattieri. Art, maybe a good place to start off is with the current state of China's economy. It was only a few months ago that news headlines were littered with views highlighting how the economy was on the brink of a collapse or heading for a hard landing. But these fears don't seem to have come to pass. Yeah, so I, you know, I think this is a great place to start. I would agree that the hard land and risks have eased quite a lot. However, I would still characterize the economy to be in relatively weak shape, but certainly better during the summer when hard land and concerns were elevated. Uh, the improvement is highlighted by some economic data and new, econ new policy measures. Uh, consumer spending has perked up, uh, the job market has improved, and it appears that the post-COVID reopening has finally found some more firmer footing. Retail sales were up nearly 8% in October. This is up from a low of 2.5% year in year in July. Motor vehicle sales have also sped up, up nearly 15% year in year in October. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate actually fell to 5% in October, down from 5.3% in July. Uh, I would also note that fixed investment activity, it's not as bad as the headline data may indicate. There are numerous sectors uh, where there's a lot of new investment or expansion taking place, you know, manufacturing, automotive, green technology, and the building out of physical infrastructure, particularly the electrical grid continues to take place. Uh, actually, construction activity, this may come as somewhat of a surprise, hasn't even been as bad as one might be led to believe, despite numerous defaults taking place by private home builders and weak new home sales. There's been a concerted effort to accelerate the completion of homes. However, new home sales are clearly a weak spot, a big drag on the economy, bad for future construction activity, but there are some signs of stabilization in the larger first tier cities, thanks to an easing in policy measures. Uh, of prominence, you know, down payment requirements were lowered in late August. Mortgage rates have also been cut. So this has helped improve affordability. And so we've seen a slight pickup in home sales on value terms. They're only down 14% year on year in October, which compares to a 25% contraction in June. And last but not least, fiscal support, it's picked up. It's actually surprised some China watchers given Beijing had basically been saying they were going to exhibit a high degree of restraint. Uh, but things have changed. Uh, the government recently announced in late October a plan to issue sovereign bonds of a roughly one trillion renminbi. So that's nearly 0.8% of GDP. And there's expectations of further stimulus being provided to help out the real estate sector. So all this explains why the consensus forecast, which we're on, is looking for real GDP to come in around 5.2% for the whole of 2023, which is up from last year's depressed 3% rate. 
That's a good summary of the current situation, Art. I wanted to ask you about the 2024 outlook next, but there, there are a few troubling issues you alluded to that I think our, our listeners may want to get a better understanding of before we look ahead. It sounds like the housing market remains in deep trouble. Is the government doing enough to resolve the situation? And how bad is China's local government debt problem? Uh, yes, I think in a nutshell, I think it'd be fair to conclude that both the housing market and local government debt will remain problematic year, areas in the years ahead. Uh, what's basically happened is the excesses of the past, specifically a lot of debt-fueled investment in housing and in infrastructure, they've come home the roost, particularly in weaker regions or provinces. But I don't think that either will continue to deteriorate to the point which will lead to some large-scale financial or economic crisis, similar to, say, what happened in the U.S. during the Great Recession or the Euro-area sovereign debt crisis. I mean, if I go back to the housing market, I think it's important to point out that the real problem still lies with home builders, not homeowners with mortgages. So it's not similar to the U.S. housing meltdown back in 2008, which was essentially driven by weak bank lending standards. Back then, buyers could easily purchase housing with small down payments or low to little incomes. The situation was exacerbated by the banking sector's ability to securitize the mortgages, mortgages and offload them from their balance sheets. And as we all know, this turned into a vicious cycle, which eventually resulted in you know, the Great Recession or the global financial crisis. In China's case, the risk of homeowners defaulting is quite limited, quite low, given relatively low outstanding low-to-value ratios of around 50%. The crux of the issue is that the authorities were attempting for quite a long time to keep a lid on home builders' financial leverage and prevent overbuilding through a variety of curbs on debt, actually for many years which was actually highlighted by the infamous three red lines implemented in 2020. But home builders got around a lack of bank credit by issuing more bonds to fund land purchases, which stretched their balance sheets and they became backloaded and being able to complete, you know, uh, the new housing they sold. However, it's quite clear that Beijing essentially, which has reversed all the tighten measures on developers and on the housing market. They're simply not interested in rescuing troubled developers, particularly the private ones. They'd rather let them fail, basically in an effort to reduce moral hazard risk, especially since the knock-on effects to the banking sector are quite limited. So to me, it's clear that Beijing doesn't want to fuel another boom in housing prices, which would reduce affordability since it's become quite worried about the fall in birth rate and the decline in the population. Art, if I can interrupt, how does that falling birth rate impact housing? Yeah, well, I think many of our listeners might have seen that China's population actually fell in 2022, which was the first time it's happened in many decades. It's a legacy of the one-child policy system that was begun in the early 80s but it's also reflective of the high cost of housing, which has led to a fall in marriage rate. It's roughly fallen by around 50% over the past decade. So the number of marriages actually fell from 13.5 million in 2013 down to 6.8 million in 
million in 2022. And in China's case, the birth rate is essentially connected to the marriage rate, unlike in the West. But the reality of the situation that this is something that's not going to change overnight. Demographic headwinds are likely to intensify as the population continues to age, and that puts pressure on growth in the longer run. Yeah, the, the shrinking population, sure, um, putting downward pressure, well, both on the housing market and, and the economy. I guess the uh, um, the silver lining is it, it is helping to keep the unemployment rate down uh, when your labor force is, is contracting, but uh, that's cold comfort at the moment. Uh, interesting, uh, Art, uh, your comments here, and, and the state of local government debt. Uh, can, can you shed some light on that? Yeah, you know, actually, the concerns over local government debt have gotten an increasing amount of, tra of attention this year. Um, more specifically, the local government finance and vehicles. Um, and what's happening is likely what's happening is, is that they're hitting a wall of debt that's maturing in the coming few years. Uh, just in case our listeners are not too familiar with these local government finance and vehicles, they were set up as off-budget entities to help build physical infrastructure, you know, roads, subway systems, transportation systems. Given a lot of the local governments or provinces didn't have enough revenues or debt issue and capacity to finance such activity. However, what's happened since is that, you know, economic activity uh, especially in more inland, regional, less developed areas, hasn't really taken off. And worse yet, you know, the local government's revenue base has been hurt by a downturn in land sales connected to the housing downturn. Those, you know, those housing or land revenues are, you know, are almost 50% of, of total local government revenues. Uh, but we just don't think there is going to be a wave of, you know, local government financial vehicles defaulting. Uh, that's going to lead to some widespread financial turmoil. Beijing isn't likely going to let this happen. And what they're probably going to do is return to an old, you know, playbook, which is either to get the big banks to restructure or extend new loans to these troubled local government finance and vehicles rather than directly bail them up bailing them out, but it's just going to continue to pop up in the headlines and we are going to hear more issues in the coming quarters and years. Got it. Uh, so with all this uh, as backdrop, where do you see China's economy going in 2024 and, and beyond? Yeah, so I, I think I see the economy delivering more of the same type of performance in 2000 uh uh in as it as occurred in 2023 um which i would basically characterize as basically weak and sort of muddling through there just doesn't appear to be you know really any overwhelming drivers that would have positively impact the economy for the record we're forecasting real gdp again aligned with consensus to rise around four and a half percent in 2024 and actually the same in 2025 and so that would be down from our estimate of 5.2 percent for 2023. Basically we expect exports to remain lackluster and the drag from housing to persist. On the more encouraging side the economy is likely to continue to receive a boost from you know Beijing's desire to you know upgrade its 
technological capabilities, whether it's semiconductors, 5G, cloud computing, precision machinery, you know, clean energy. Those are the, the key growth drivers for, for China going forward because it's part of, you know, the government's self-sufficiency drive. However, it's clear that China's growth potential is already decelerated into that four to five percent range. Um, as we likely by the end of the year, while well, the average growth of 4.7 between 2020 and 23. So this is down from 6.8%, the average that took place prior to the pandemic from 2015 to 2019. Art, most countries could only dream of muddling through with four and a half uh, four to five percent economic growth. Yet China is considered to be underperforming. Why is that? Well, it's a great question, but I think the main reason why China is considered to be underperforming is that it appears that you know the days of boom and growth they're clearly over. As we have discussed, companies, more specifically home builders local governments, local government financial vehicles are having difficulty servicing their debt. It suggests that the economy is not humming along at a comfortable or healthy clip. Uh, you know, another key sign, you know, of overall economic weakness is, is the labor market is struggling. Uh, income growth isn't great and new graduates, are, you know, are finding it much more difficult to get jobs that take advantage of their skill set, which wasn't the case, say, five or 10 years ago. Arthur, lots of talk about China following Japan's lost decade, given the housing downturn and, and very low inflation ratings. Even Richard Koo, who wrote the book on Japan's balance sheet recession, believes China is now in one. W what are your thoughts? Yes. Uh, this is a topic we could spend, you know, an entire show discussing, uh, but we won't. Uh, as far as, you know, the lost decade or the potential lost decade, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but perhaps before I give my rationale why, let me briefly explain what the crux of, you know, Japan's balance sheet recession was, which was simply after a massive twin stock and property market bubble bursting in the late 1980s, 1989 to be specific, Japanese corporates reined back their spending to repair their balance sheet, basically repay or minimize debt rather than maximize profit. And this basically occurred for, you know, over a decade and a half from 1990 to 2005. As for why I believe China has not fallen into this sort of uh, balance sheet recession is for two reasons, two key reasons. First, the housing price correction taking place in China does not appear to be that severe. Uh, although there's really no good comprehensive measures of housing prices, uh, but by all accounts, anecdotally existing home prices have not collapsed. Maybe they're down 10% in, you know, the tier one, tier two cities, perhaps 20% or so, you know, in the in the lower tier cities or basically dependent on the region. Uh, but there haven't been a large wave of homeowners that are gonna, you know, default. Uh, 
uh, homeowners haven't fallen into equity, negative equity, which would you know lead them to even really adjust their spending habits. Uh, second, uh, demand for credit in China, particularly by the private corporate sector, it remains strong. Uh, you know, whether it's in technology intensive industries, just all private sector industries, there is demand for credit. The problem is that bank credit has largely been gobbled up by the state owned enterprises or local government financial vehicles uh, due to the bank's belief of the implicit guarantee coming from the from the government. So, but look, it's not all clear skies ahead. Business and investment sentiment is weak and it's been undermined by regulatory flip-flops we've seen in the last couple of years and obviously the escalation in the trade war with the west which is worsened under the biden administration art that leads me to a final question how bad are trade tensions with the u.s in particular well i think they are really bad and i don't see relationships really improving despite the meeting we had between Biden and C, at least on the economic front. Uh, the reality, and the Biden administration has said it, there is economic competition taking place. Uh, I don't think anyone would have ever imagined that the type of measures and restrictions we've seen put in place uh, in terms of the import tariffs, the withholding of the sale of technology, semiconductors, equipment making technology, would have happened if we were talking, let's say, a decade ago. So I still think we're in this period or era where, you know, we're going to see global protectionism likely rise. Um, and it could worsen if there is a change in leadership in the U.S. next year. Art, your discussion makes me think China's economy may be down, but isn't quite out and will find a way to move forward. Uh, which is good for the rest of the world. Uh, China is also uh, one of the few countries to avoid a post-pandemic surge in inflation. That means it could export lower prices to the rest of the world. And that, uh, along with softer demand for commodities, could help push down interest rates, which uh, all investors would cheer. Thanks, Art, for the insight on China. And thanks, everyone, for listening.